Welcome to The Founders. I'm Alex. And I'm Joe. And after speaking to some of the most exciting and innovative businesses, we're bringing this podcast to an end, but not before telling our story first. So Campfire is a multi-award winning social first marketing agency, which me and Alex founded uh, back in 2019. We work with clients such as The Inky List, Garnier, Vaseline, Domino's and Quorn, to name a few. We create international campaigns that exceed expectation and we're excited to tell you our journey so far and our vision for the future. Just as a note, you may hear the voice of our producer, Abby, uh, in this conversation, just asking us questions. So to finish the season, uh, in this episode, we will be sharing the story of Campfire. Enjoy. Right, so let's start with... Right, Joe, what was your career before starting Campfire? My career before Campfire? Um, before Campfire, I actually worked at an agency called Social Chain. That's where I met Alex. And prior to that, I was uh, working in finance and also a student. Um, full disclosure, I had no intention of working in marketing. I was studying mathematics and finance. And my plan was to go into accountancy, which is miles apart from where what I'm doing now, but that was a plan. And through late nights at university and finding Twitter really interesting, I found myself growing Twitter communities in the evenings for a laugh. And that's how I first got into it. But uh, to summarise, that, 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 that's kind of it. What about you? Where did you, what did you do before all this? Mine was slightly different. Um, first entry into YouTube was back in the days of people like Shay Carl, Kasim G, SXE Phil, um, and bought a camera, wanted to be a YouTuber, um, started making sketches, lip syncing videos, <laughs> which actually did quite well. Um, and then that career in video, a career, that, that the, the hobby of video led to trying to make money out of video. So shooting weddings, shooting commercials for like small brands and putting them on social media. Then got an interest in combining the two, but didn't know enough about social media. So joined Social Chain, where I was placed making uh, making a lot of the video content for the, for the channels there. Ended up heading up the video part of Media Chain and was producing content for large pages like Student Problems and uh, Love Travel across a lot of different niches. And the the content was geared towards generating engagements. And that's kind of where I met Joe. Do you remember the first, the, the actual first time that we met? I'm not going to cry if you say no. <laughs> no, because I, no, I can remember you joining the office and me thinking you were new, but not realizing that you'd been technically there like longer than a lot of the people in the room. Yeah, from like a distance, you were yeah. like pioneering virtual, <laughs> like at home work. Oh yeah, um, oh yeah, working from home. I've, I've been been doing that since 2015. Yeah, and uh, yeah. so I remember you coming in and working on s- the sports page. Yeah, and then everything after that is like just an amalgamation of like That's random thoughts. So for, for context, yeah. So when I first started working for Social Chain, I was part time whilst I was still at university. And that basically meant that in the evenings, I would schedule tweets for Twitter accounts that were run by Social Chain um, and eventually then run that team of people who were externally running those pages. It was when it came to summer, Hannah Anderson, um, who still speak to now, um, worked together for a long time. Um, she was my boss at the time and basically said, do you want to come in full time for the summer? And I was like, God, yeah, that sounds amazing. So I went, and I, I remember seeing you for the first time. For some reason, it's like imprinted in my brain. You were wearing a white T-shirt, um, and you had this, you, I know you still got more or less the same haircut, but it, back then it was like Just really less. quiffy. No, it was more, it was loads. Now it's less, for sure. Yeah. But, <laughs> but that big old quiff, and you were sat in um, the side that had the tree in it, and your back was to the windows that was in the courtyard in the middle, and you were sat next to Mikey Martin. That was, I remember that. I don't remember how we first got speaking, though. Um, all I remember is that I remember our healthy rivalry after a few months. That was quite Yeah, that's what I mean. I think it was. It became like, because I think it was like a gentleman's bet yeah, uh, around yeah. <laughs> uh, pages that were being... Because essentially our roles were to uh, draw people to specific accounts and you'd started Game Byte, yeah, 
and I'd taken over a smaller one yeah. called... It was around travel. It doesn't matter. And you turned it into love travel. It, and it, it became love travel again, or something, yeah. and it's it changed something else now. And basically our jobs were to grow the accounts. And so it was more fun if you were, like had a bit of healthy competition because they were starting from a kind of similar point. Yeah. And so I think that resulted in like rapid learning. I think a little bit of competition is really good for like mm. as an incentive to constantly improve. And we were posting like 10 times a day, different forms of content that were designed to get people to follow the pages, which was a really, really good crash course in, I guess, human psychology in terms of what is going to get someone to pay attention to a video, what's yeah. going to get someone to pay, what is going to get someone to follow a page. Um, so, and then, yeah, that, that kind of, healthy rivalry and i think it also drove us to like hop on new things as well so like when live streams first came out i was like this is gonna get growth I yeah i know this is gonna get growth i'm gonna as soon as we sit down next week with alex and go who's grown more this week look at these numbers i've just done live streams check yeah. this out so like it kind of got us to do the best work we've done just through competing with each other yeah it was great and <laughs> i think i guess that that turned into like mutual respects uh, and a friendship that ended up we ended up living together and their discussions sort of i suppose as naturally as the uh, as the the workplace that we were at was growing um we joined for a certain reason and to to achieve a certain outcome and like had a certain belief of what our own success would look like and the agency obviously had their own as well and direction that they wanted to to go in and the leadership team and the investors there had a direction that they wanted to take the business. And I think over time, those two pictures probably yes, started fair. to not match up as much and conversation started around sort of what what would it look like if if we were running an agency? What would it look like if this was something that we had complete ownership of? How would we change things? What would we do for clients differently? How would we manage the team or treat the team differently those conversations just sort of continued probably for like 18 months mm. like a year to 18 months oh yeah like we didn't that. act on that for a while um we and i think this is this probably happens in in a lot of businesses but as as you scale um i can imagine it gets difficult to keep a lid on a lot of things or keep things running how you want them and i think um the, the pace at which social chain was growing at the time was it like I've I've still to this day not seen a business grow that quickly, mm. um, and there's been numerous that are in our industry that have grown very very quickly, but that was unprecedented, um, and with that comes comes mistakes along the way, and I'm, you know speaking to some of the people that, that that were there at the time, even some of the leadership, they they they're aware of what those were, and I know that they've since fixed them, but we were obviously caught up uh, along that uh, along that journey, and it, yeah, it took it took a good. 18 months and I think when we eventually decided to pull the trigger on it it was in your spare room um yeah. I was still living there uh, with with Alex at the time I think we must have had a couple of beers that night and thought you know let, this is a, this is a time well let's just let's just do it let's just do it and it was January 30th or 31st one of the two, 2019 um and we'd gone on company's house and registered the business and we were like right let's do it we're in and then we woke up the next day and went, right, should we go back into work and carry on as normal yeah, yeah. for a couple of months? Because <laughs> we were like, we don't know how to how to start this. You don't. No one, like, if you've not done it before, it's like the most daunting thing. You don't know where to start. You, you worry too much about things that aren't important. Like, what's our logo going to look like? And, you know, is our website this, that, and the other? And maybe maybe the colours should be this and not that. And it's like, well, is that going to get you paid? So, yeah. we, we, you know, you do all of those things. You're trying to figure out what to do first. So, obviously, like, because you were at Social Chain and you wanted to set up kind of a similar yeah, thing. Yeah. But then you obviously can't quit right away. So what are like the logistics of like setting up a competitor? Yeah. Um, well, to be honest, it was two things. I think when we first started Campfire, the, the, the plan wasn't to be a direct competitor. Looking at where we are now, yes, we are. Um, but when when we were setting it up, I remember we chatted and it, we we knew that if we would set up a competitor, it's a problem. And I think moreover, it's you just you, you're not allowed to do that. At the time, Social Chain didn't offer paid, or if they did, it was brand new, and they they mainly used it to boost their um, sort of media campaigns that they'd run across the channels. Um, they weren't doing you know 
what our first proposition was, which was, first of all, we worked with small businesses, businesses that social chain were too big to touch and wouldn't deal with. And secondly, we were making content for paid campaigns, and that was the bottom line, um, which wasn't a lot of what they were doing. That's that's where we landed, partly because that felt like a good starting point for us, but also wasn't in direct competition. And yeah, it took a couple of months, didn't it? And then we basically finally agreed on a plan, handed in our notices on the same day, um, and, <laughs> and then it was mixed. It was mixed. Like when you, I, th- I think everyone at some point has probably handed in the notice, and when you do it, there is an element of relief. First of all, you're like, finally, especially after the conversation, up to the up to and during the conversation is always awkward and uncomfortable. But afterwards, you feel a bit of relief. But also as well, I was a bit sad, and I, you know, when I remember doing my talk when when I when we, when I left, and I got like, quite emotional. I think that was the first business I've ever worked for where I felt. Like this is my kind of place. These are my kind of people, and this is the work I want to be doing. It was a really solid business, and I, you know, really love my time there. I think it's hard to not, it's hard to not get upset or hard to not get attached to a business like that because they were, it really was a, a good place to be. Yeah, it was. I would agree with that. I would, I'd, I'd say like it, I've never, to be fair, that was my only real job that I've ever had. However, it was like a melting pot of really strong talent. Yeah. Which is something that still to this day I'm like that was, that is a very that's still very very inspirational thing that I guess Steve and Dom did in drawing the right kinds of people to the business that were yeah, that team innovators so especially cool. like the early team, not that like no discredit to the later team but I think the f- the first few people were like going on to went on to do like a lot of really really good things a lot of whom we're still in touch with. So I think that's one really positive thing that came out of the business is it connected so many really talented people. Um, and yeah, I think that was why it was diff- it was a difficult thing to leave because at that time it was quite a neat, like everything we were doing felt quite niche. There wasn't loads of people that like understood social media that well. And so, and it, and it brought all of those people together in one place. So it was really easy to have conversations that you could be really passionate about with like a hundred people around you. It was at, at the same time I'd I'd to be fair like become a little bit like disengaged within my role. I felt like I'd made a million videos and was like ready for a a new thing as well. Um, and that that kind of and the the sort of picture misaligning uh, in my mind. It was just like it's not a direction that I want to continue to go in. Um, was it obvious for you that the next step was a business, though? Was that something you always wanted to do? Um, I knew that I could. Like I was just bad at having a job. Like right. I know that makes me sound like I'm just not. Gr- I just don't think. Yeah. What does that mean? I'm not great at having so, a job. So, so like, so I don't know. It's like I've I've always loads of faith here. Al. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm just like <laughs> I, I don't know. It, it's just I've always thought that it had like I have to earn money in my own way right if that makes sense um I'm, I'm I've never been good at being prescribed things to do unless I like really get it with with that it was a really weird scenario where like reward was directly linked to the feedback loop of seeing likes and comments and yeah. things like that come in and I think I respond better to like more immediate rewards, mm. which there came in the form of likes, comments, and views on videos, which translated in my mind to like success in the eyes of my peers and line manager, I guess. But I think that I think partly it's symptomatic of like the like Amazon Prime generation. I, I, doubt, I doubt I'm like alone in that mindset. In, in the and I think a lot of people, if they feel even if they felt like they're not that way. If they were getting more immediate rewards on a more yeah. frequent basis, I think you you would go further. Mm. And I think it's like you can see it in the way that we consume content, mm. or like how how quickly you need your parcels to be delivered. Like patience is like less common now. I think, and I'm just I think I'm just one of the people that is just not very patient. That makes sense. <laughs> no, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, so going back to the original question, is it would you say that this starting a business then was more because of it was your it was finally your own way of of doing what oh, you yeah. wanted to do? Sorry, yeah, that was a massive tangent. Um, yeah, because yeah, I needed to. I felt like I needed that 
the the freedom to be able to control my own time right and create those scenarios where i could get those like consistent uh wins mm. so whether it is in sales or whether it's in making new connections that turn into something or the case studies that we produce feel like these little wins that feel like little projects and and also being able to change what you're doing depending on your own engagement with mm. that project was more important to me than like the security of like a, a I suppose a, a, a nine to, to five role which is which for some people is really really important but for me for some I was like attracted to the to the chaos a little bit I think did you always want to start a business uh, mine's a much more boring answer yes um, I've always wanted to um, I'm a person who just thrives off responsibility and also sort of strategic problem solving um, if there's a big there's a big mess of something that needs to be solved at scale for a long-term solution. Stick me in there, basically. And when you're building a business from zero to as far as we want to get to, that is the that is a lot of the challenges of scale. It's um, We did this one way. It worked. It's not going to work when you add another 10, 20 people in it. So how do you do it at then? Where, you know, you might not be able to see everything anymore, so you have to trust the process will work when you're not there. That's kind of stuff I like. So I think building a business was probably something I was always going to naturally lean towards. But then the idea of starting a business um, was something I always wanted to, I gravitate towards anyway, just because I don't really know why. Maybe that might, I think that might be a, a millennial thing. You know, when you get, as you were growing up, you get served all of this hustle porn shite. I definitely got caught up in that. So I think when I first started um, wanting to run a business, it was probably for the wrong reasons and I had to redefine why I wanted to do it. Mm. When when we were in it, we had this chat actually a while back. Um, but yeah, the the things that I enjoy doing, the things that I'm good at, and, and sort of naturally lend themselves to that anyway. When we started Campfire, we were pretty clear. It took us a while to get the the, the actual words of the values down, but we were pretty clear on what what how we wanted to run the business. Um, for you, where did that come from? Because we agreed pretty quickly. Like it didn't take too much argument over what the what what it was or the style in which we wanted to operate the business. The, our, our values are in, honesty and integrity, um, which is the way that we operate: honesty and integrity with each other, with our clients. Be a good person, um, which is essentially the no dickhead rule. To be totally honest, um, no one wants to work with a dickhead. You want to work with people that you like working with, that are helpful and kind. Um, and then the third is exceed expectations. Um, we can get into why that is what it is, but it's yeah, hopefully they sort of speak for themselves. Where did those come from for you? So with integrity and honesty, I think we'd seen that and felt that because making sales is so important, a lot of people would often put that in front of client satisfaction. I actually had that experience. So just going back to when when I was sure that it was my time at Sales Chain was done, I actually applied for quite a few jobs at agencies in a mixture of roles between you know social media director, operations director, whatever it might have been. And the attitude when you're speaking to the founders was a lot of the time, you know, we need more sales, we need this. And I was like, oh, let me have a look at, um, you know, your, your numbers, let's see what's going on. And it was, there was always a discrepancy between what they were asking and what was actually there, what was going to be capable of the team. And it always looked like they were just going to do sales regardless of what was best for the client or what the client wanted, or they were going to do sales regardless of whether the team even had capacity, which isn't isn't something that anyone you can you can you hear that it doesn't sound like something you want to be part of as a client or mm. a team member, does it? If, if someone's just going to keep selling shit that you either don't need or you can't physically do as a team member, are you going to want to be there? No. So that was my, anyway. Sorry, you carry on. But that was my personal no, experience it, with it. Yeah. So I, I think, and our view on it was well hang on, we want to actually develop a really good... If someone's going to hand over their money to us, we want to make sure that we're delivering a really good product and we want to make sure that they feel confident in with their money in our hands. And I think when this kind of... A peak representation of this was... Obviously, we, because as Joe mentioned, we started in 2019, we were getting the ball rolling, getting a couple of clients in, and then lockdown happened, which for... Basically, everyone was unprecedented, which is probably like the word of that of, of 2020. Yeah. No, no one knew what to do. And as founders, we, to be honest, initially didn't know what to do either because there was no blueprint for how you're supposed to act. So, well, I, all that we could do was well, we trust. Spoke, yeah, but we spoke to we spoke to friends in business, and so there were other small startup agencies that started at a similar time, and they were all like, "Oh, we're um, we're asking for payment up front now from our clients, and we're closing our payment terms at the very like least." Or um, 
any debtors were now straight away going to legal and all this stuff. And I was like, okay, that sounds pretty aggressive for someone that you want to have a relationship with. Like, as a if I, if that was me as a client, I'm going fucking hell. That's a lot considering I thought we had a good working relationship. Mm. So we sort of we went on the side of everyone's going through shit right now. As a client, what would you want to hear? from an agency, because agencies are support systems. That's what you're there for, to, to, to provide expert advice and also to provide resource when you've not got it. As a bottom line, that's kind of what the business is. It didn't make sense to us that you would then be essentially a massive pain in the arse to someone who's going through exactly what you're going through as well. Um, and so, yeah, we sort of went on the, the side of trust and we're here for you and mm. offered extra time for free. Um, offered extended payment terms, which was, pr in retrospect, probably not the smartest financial move, but would we do it again? Probably, because of the trust it managed to build with our clients, so they knew that we cared. Also, if you did want to, you, you might think that this is kind of a naive uh, approach to things, but there is a kind of rule of reciprocity that is a kind of mental shortcut that you use. I think a famous version of this is you're more likely to tip a waiter if they give you like a mint or two mints with your bill. So all these businesses were that were like asking for payment up front was very aggressive and you you almost want to reciprocate that aggression and be protect like you become protective over your cash because you're like okay. But if we as a business are saying okay we're going to be here for you we're going to make sure that everything's okay we'll offer you extended payment terms I think if you're a rational person, you kind of want to reciprocate that level of trust and not do over the, the agency that is offering you that kind of level of service. So we were banking on our clients being good people as, as well. And luckily everyone was, no one took advantage of the fact that we were, were generous with the way that we were working with them. So that, that paid off for us that that worked. And yeah, as Joe said, it might not be the best thing to do from a business sense, but for us in that time it worked. And it because of the success of, of the way that we'd acted in that time, we decided to make it a, a fundamental value that the company and that everyone internally um, should do their best to abide by. Being a good person, is it all kind of comes under the same umbrella in the sense that I think we just felt clients will have a better experience with us and the teams will have a better experience with us if we make it absolutely clear that these are the values that we live by. And then one that it was introduced later was exceeding expectation. It wasn't one that we originally were going to put in. It's just something that we realized we were doing and we were always really proud of. If you look at any of the case studies that we post, we're always very numbers focused and performance focused. We'll talk about the KPIs that the client set and how we exceeded those. Um, as well, internally, exceeding expectation is celebrated in in the team so anyone that goes above and beyond for another member of the team is celebrated um and so we wanted to make that something that we kind of measure success as a part of campfire um that's a kind of measuring stick that we use to say you know are, are you a, are you a campfire person would you be willing to go above and beyond for the person to your left or your right or for a client it's something that we've we've always done but we've just manifested into a written value more recently i was going to ask what is the difference for you between running a business of four versus running a business of 20 versus running a business of 42 or what, what, whatever number we're at now? We've got about 10 hires out. So by the time you listen to this podcast, we're probably 50, but I don't know. Um, the difference is um, a few things. I think when you're a team of four, um, you naturally wear many hats between you know, between us, we've probably done near enough every role this business has got. Between account management, we've found and briefed influencers, we've run paid campaigns, we've created content, um, we've managed social media channels. We've um, some of those things because of what we'd done at Sales Chain, we were very good at, uh, and other things we were probably just okay at. And we tried to be our best. And I think it's easy for you to find your own way. And I definitely was guilty of this. You find your own way of working that works for you and try and set that as the standard. And it's it's hard to hand over the reins, especially when you make your first senior hire. That was a big learning curve to be able to trust that you've brought someone in better to be better than you for a reason. Like, let them be better. 
Um, that was that was one learning curve that was quite tough. I think between forty and twenty people, twenty is quite a nice number to manage. I found um, you can keep your eye on more or less everything that's going on, um, and so you don't have to develop any complex sort of feedback systems. Or one one of the big things that I'm a big fan of at the minute is like set the end goal, set the destination, and then just sort of parameters that you need to operate in. Don't go too far that way. Don't go too far that way. But in here, do whatever it is that you want to do. Um, as long as you stick to these values and these ways of working, anything else is all you. Um, and that's it. That works really well. But to do that, you have to be. You have to spend a lot of time thinking about what what the destination is and why, what the parameters are and why, and the processes and what what areas aren't aren't foolproof because you know the team have got a lot on. If you don't if you don't make it as easy as possible for them, things might go wrong. Um, and so when you're at twenty people, you don't really have to do that too much. Keep your eye on everything. If something slips up, oh, I'll quickly fix that. But when you're at 40 people, you don't see everything. You have to trust that the team that you've built around you as leaders hold the same standards you do. You have to empower them to also let them crack on and do that, which if you've, you're a founder and you've previously had control over everything, letting go of that is quite scary. And then also trust the feedback that you get. I think um, it's, it's very easy to want to go in and dive in and be like, I want to hear it for myself. What's going on here? Let the, and dive in and you, you end up sort of steamrolling through a, situa- a situation. You have to be able to trust the feedback that you get and act on that. And if it wasn't 100% correct, that'll, that'll show eventually when the fix that you recommended wasn't quite right. And then you'll have to chat and be like, well, you know, I, I needed the proper context. So that's the biggest one. It's, you know, you, you, you move away from being hands-on to slightly less hands-on at 20 people, but you can still see everything at 40 plus. You can't see everything. You've got to trust that you've built structures on, you know, foundations made of concrete, not sand, and that the people around you can trust. I would say, so I, I think one thing for any founder that's an interesting turning point is, so it's important to A, not be like a, an ego-led person that refuses to believe someone can be better than you so that you end up hiring people that are worse than you on purpose because you don't want to be like upstaged. And I've I've heard of founders that that have done that and they'll hire just they'll, they'll hire people that that they know that they can like boss around and don't know more than them because mm. it would be intimidating. Yeah. Whereas I think what we've done a really good job of is looking for people that we know like exceed the knowledge that we have available and have more experience than we have. But the thing that is scary about doing that is it can be intimidating when you hire your first senior hire that has more experience than you in a specific area is probably going to see any mistake that you make and recognize it as a mistake. It's like a weird, it's a weird feeling where you sort of start to, to doubt yourself a little bit because you've been you've been the one that's been doing that role previously and sometimes if the person's really good they might come in and like with a lot of self-confidence and say i'm going to rearrange like all the stuff that you've been doing and you're kind of like oh okay and uh it's this weird turning point where and, and if you are someone that's listened to this that's that's done that i think the important thing to remember is whilst these these people that you're inspiring to join your company Bear in mind, if they're, they're really talented, A, you should be really proud that they've they've chosen to join you on this mission that you've defined for the team. But also that you're the only one that knows where it can go. The, the, these people haven't joined, the senior people, the experienced people haven't joined because they know where to take everyone and what direction to point everyone in. They will still look to you as the only person or only people that, know which direction everyone's going in they just know how to get there but it's on, on on you to explain a really clear picture of where you want to end up and then let them es- essentially guide you in that direction so i think yeah that's that's one of the biggest changes is 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 yeah trusting that you, you your team are gonna take you to to the to the vision that you've painted for so yeah what we talked about there is probably just different milestones in the business and how we changed over time i want to ask about some different milestones that we've had um the first one being our first client do you remember our first client our first client actually so oh, oh, no, i thought uh, you wanted to talk about the the like first so the first retained first retainer so basically when we first started we did for three months we basically didn't make any money 
Um, we didn't have anything coming in, and it was rough as hell. We had a little bit here and there from a few projects from small companies that we were working with, um, but it definitely wasn't the type of work we wanted to go after or wanted to be doing. Um, but we were also at the same time doing the sort of the wrong things to try and find that. It got to a point um, at the start of that third month where I basically had a pretty a serious look at my bank account and turned to Alex and I was like, we're not making any money. And if we don't make any money in the next four weeks, I'm probably going to have to go and get a job because this isn't sustainable. Like This isn't, this isn't going to work. And so for four weeks, we basically went hell for leather, didn't we, on reaching out to every man and his dog who had a marketing budget, um, genuinely any anyone. And um, it was getting to, yeah, it was very much tense times, wasn't it? We were trying to find trying to find a, a client, and um, we we landed one deal at the end of that third month that basically t- showed me that we, we were doing something. We got something right, and we're with something here that we can build on. Um, and that so client was came, mis- misguided. Yeah, they um, came from you just like direct messaging the CEO at the time on Instagram. Um, on Instagram, yeah, <laughs> literally on Instagram. Um, so. Uh, Sam Massey, if you're listening, I'm really sorry. Um, basically, I'd, I'd had a couple of conversations with Sam Massey about having a meeting, and she very graciously said that they th- I think they have everything that they need right now. And I also had a contact with a girl called Katrina, who um, I had had a couple of meetings with, and it looked like it might go somewhere, but it did start to tail off a little bit. And I was so hell-bent on, on trying to work with Misguided that I basically I found... Found the CEO at the time, Nitin, and um, found his Instagram, and he, his DMs were open, so I could slide right in. So I sent him a message, just being like, "Hey, Nitin, you know this might seem out of the blue, but um, I was gonna set up a meeting. We've got one in the, in the calendar. That was a lie. Sorry, Katrina and Sam. Um, we've got a meeting, but it's uh, it's basically gonna be a pitch, and I thought it might you might want to hear it because it's gonna be like a long retainer that is probably gonna affect your social media strategy as a whole. So. It'd be good if you were there for it, um, and he came back and was like, "Yeah, absolutely." Well, if 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 you're going to pitch for for a retainer, it's going to be you know an overarching strategy. But it should just be uh, me and uh, me and our uh, CMO. Okay, sure, Nitin. Um, do you want to book that meeting in next week? And he just went, "Yeah, cool, Tuesday." Okay, do you have an email so we can confirm this? So like. Um, basically we shoot our shot and and you know we slid in and it worked and um we basically turned shoot up it our shot. we did oh, what is there another shoot it shot shot, shot your shot. shot we shot yeah. our shot shoot our shot we shot our shot and we and it worked so we had the meeting and pre- you know presented it in the room and there i've never experienced this by the way since that meeting they negotiated cost with us straight after the proposal and then said agreed let's do it which I've never experienced since. We had negotiated because um, I think at first we were we said a year and they said no six months, um, and then they said oh a year if if like a slightly lower cost basically that was a negotiation as they typically go, and quick mental mass I was like this covers costs for this great absolutely, and took a few days to get it signed but I still got it in my drawer in in the office the original hand signed signature on the on the contract on the first you know big retainer that we got. Um, all from sliding in the DMs on Instagram to the CEO. <laughs> and also, sorry, Nitin, if you didn't know that. I think I told you actually afterwards, but um, if if you don't remember, I am sorry. So, yeah, maybe as a piece of advice, as long as we did, we did deliver uh, really good work as well. So, you know, it worked out in, in the best interest for all of us, I think. Um, but, you know, shoot your shot. Who knows what might happen from it? <laughs> Are there any other... Um, sort of new business stories that we've got uh, i was gonna i i think the first time we kind of went from the relatively smaller budgets to oh, i thought you're gonna say the first higher <laughs> oh well yeah so that that one was actually great yeah so like obviously you romanticize starting a business and, and hiring your, your first person and like you heavily romanticize uh, your business at the start like that's why you spend so much time on the name you spend so much time on the website yeah. and like when you look outside from any like any business, you kind of just like like even if you look at Nike, you kind of like that's just what it is. Like you don't think about it that much. The people that came up with that name will probably spent like ages coming up with that name. It was the same for us. You massively romanticized starting a business, and it was the same exact thing with our first hire. Where today it's 
like relatively relatively by the book you have a read like we we will have like multiple interviews and you'll get a, a nice welcome when you come in and you we try and make you welcome day a, a, a nice day but this was like another level of offering a job so liam we needed someone to help us manage paid media and we knew liam davies uh from working with him previously he'd since left and was at another agency and randomly bumped into him at a cricket event that i was not supposed to be at like it was just the most bizarre thing and he was just randomly there we were chatting to him i think you've been trying to reach him as well and we just said um we're starting this thing do you would you come and work for us and he said i'm actually looking for a new opportunity yeah i'll come i'll come over which was great because we we didn't think that he would actually join two lads that had just started a social media marketing agency and <laughs> he came in I think he came into interview actually he came into interview and then we decided that we, we wanted to hire him and work with him um, and have him as the first team member at, at Campfire and when we told him it was like we were proposing like it was planned in a way we were like he loves golf so we'll take him to the driving range we'll have the contract printed out we'll put it in our inside pocket we'll play some rounds and then we'll we'll offer him the job like can you imagine actually like in practice how in practice that, that is. is so yeah so <laughs> like so, in your head you're like this is gonna go so like something out of Mad Men or something like that. you're like this is so, oh just by the way you're in like and then you walk away and the music starts playing that's what was going through our heads but I remember do you remember we'd, we'd finished the round and it was fun and then gone outside and we were like uh by the by, way, yeah. By, by, by the way, Liam, fumbled, and then, like fumbled it, dro- dropped it on the floor, just like picked it back. It blew away a bit. Like, no, he just like, gave it to. And him, obviously, but... it doesn't. It doesn't like if someone pulls out a piece of paper or like a, a wedge of paper, it doesn't have contract in big bold letters across the entire page. It's like a title at the top. He's like, "What's this?" And so yeah. we're like, "Oh, it's a, it is your employment contract." If you do still want to work for us, it was just, it was just not. Not what we romanticised. Yeah, it no. didn't go to plan. I'm sure the sentiment would landed well. It was a nice gesture, but needless to say, we didn't do we didn't do that ever again. We did do fireworks oh. for a bit every time, like because we're called campfire. We wanted like a unique way of people pass like to to pass your probation. Yeah, which there's such a funny video that goes along with like the series of these things. But we'll release these one day. It started as when you passed your probation you would write things that you wanted to achieve at the business on a piece of paper and then you would sell tape it to a firework and then <laughs> you would shoot the firework and it would just explode into the universe right so I, as far as you can see very romanticized yeah yeah <laughs> so like we're like this is sick <laughs> and the first time we did it we were actually uh, it was probably super dangerous super because dangerous. we were near a petrol station so we were like <laughs> shooting fireworks off near a petrol station that would have been easy to figure out who it was because there was like Probably people signed names on the firework <laughs> that would have just like <laughs> landed somewhere. But then, so we were like, that's oh, too dangerous. So God. we changed it to Chinese lanterns. Yeah. And then people would set these off in their, their back gardens. But like there's multiple, not, this didn't even happen once. There's like multiple, <laughs> like like people got stuck in trees. Like Neighbours' gardens. One went into like someone else's flat or something or on their roof and like, most of them ended up with like a hose pipe, like trying to put yeah. out these Chinese lanterns. So we also stopped that <laughs> risk of fire. Um, but yeah, you, I think you kind of have to get those things mm. out of your system a little bit when you, when you first start in, yeah. especially when there's like 10 of you, you're trying extra hard to make everything as like as special as you can. Um, I think, yeah, it's it's pretty funny. One defining moment that sticks out for me is, um, I'm going to link this to a point that a lot of people make about uh, business these days. You see it a lot. It's, it's almost as though a lot of people who talk about business have gone from one end where it was, oh, you're going to need to hustle every day. You need to wake up at 3 a.m., take 15 cold showers, and then start work at 4, and then you don't stop until it gets to 2 a.m., you have one hour sleep, you go again. Yeah. All the way to... You only need to do two hours work a day, and you know you need balance and extra balance and even more balance and maybe more towards just staying in bed. Like there's, it's gone from one extreme to the other. I feel like, whereas the reality is, there will be times of balance and there will be times of extreme stress and work that you need to go through. And there was this big milestone that had happened that me and Al didn't even realise for days on end, 
And then when we did realize, so basically the milestone was that it was the first time as a business in one particular year that we'd crossed a million pound income. And it was in this office here and we were sat at the end. I remember just checking up on the numbers and I was like, oh, Al, we've, uh, look at this. Done a million in sales this year. And he was like, oh, sick. Uh, just set. <laughs> finished his email. He was like, oh, when did that happen? And I looked through like when it would have, I was like, oh, maybe like a, a week and a half ago. He was like, oh, well, well done, mate. I was like, yeah, cheers. <laughs> he was like, do we have anything? I was like, looked in the fridge. We had a bottle of Prosecco left over from when we had like a, a quarterly meeting. I was like, this? It's like, yeah, all right. Quickly popped it open. One glass of Prosecco. I was like, cheers, bud. Right back to it. And then you carry on with your emails. And that was like, that was quite was that a big moment. Out? Yeah, yeah. It was like, yeah. But it, it was, was like so pitch funny. black outside. It was like, must have been half eight or nine or something at night. And we were just like, cheers, bud. Right, crack on. See you later. And what I would say, actually, to anyone listening to that who's running a business, try and make more of a deal out of those moments because, like, I will always remember that, but I remember it as the fleeting moment in the office at half eight where we had one glass of Prosecco. Um, achieving that number is some, is nothing to sniff your nose at and is a, is something you should be proud of. Um, we we do do a better job now of making time for those things because we recognise that. I think that's something good that we've done, actually, mm. is making time to chat and check up on each other, making time to celebrate the little wins and the big ones. Um, definitely do those. So... Alright, let's start with you, Alex. Can you talk about the future of Campfire for you? So, well, the reason that I'm excited about the future of Campfire is, in part, I think, it's a projection of, of like my own behaviour onto the rest of the world, but I just do not watch TV at all. I watch some like Netflix stuff, but barely ever. Like All of my time is essentially digital media. There is a platform, a really useful platform, called Alf insights if anyone wants to use it to find new leads it's great but it shows you a breakdown of media spend across like all of these different brands really exciting brands with brilliant products and the slice of their overall marketing spend that is digital is like shockingly small relative to platforms like tv and i think that is just a legacy thing where tv just feels like it's supposed to be the spearhead of your campaign and then everything else is kind of supplementary to that but taking a sample of like all of Campfire and the way that they discover products and the way that they find out about things, it's so much more about integrating your products and your service into something that is relevant to people and showing them how it can be relevant to their lives in a format like social media. I think the only bit of TV that will actually survive is product placement. Other than that, I think like TV advertising is going to die. Like if you the Sky Plus generation, if you're a millennial, you were taught to fast forward through ads. If you're Gen Z, you've if you've not got an ad blocker, you're, you're hovering over the skip ad button unless it's like one of the great ads like uh, Dollar Shave Club or like William Painter uh, Shades or something like that. But the thing that excites me is the the opportunity for growth and the opportunity to help more brands transform themselves digitally and become appealing to people that are in our age bracket, millennials and, and Gen Z. And there's there's huge brands with brilliant products that just get it so wrong a lot of the time. They'll just do these random partnerships. And it's just, it's really exciting to think about the the opportunity that's out there, the brands that we can help, the opportunities that, that are will in the future be available for the team to be able to creatively impact these brands um and i think it feels like we're just paddling in front of a tidal wave at the moment like waiting for the brands to wake up and realize where they're spending the money um and maybe there's something that i like that we don't know that like maybe tv's like way more effective than <laughs> than we think it is but I don't know. It just feels it's, it feels like we're paddling in front of like a tidal wave at yeah. the moment, and that it's we're sort of prepping for that moment. I've got a second that like I absolutely agree with that. I'd, um, you sit in conversations with marketing directors, and they'll, they'll they're like, "TV's really valuable. TV's really valuable." I'm sure it has value still now, but the da the data is undeniable that usage amongst you know Gen Z and millennials of phones and social media is way above how much they watch TV. And with every new generation that comes along, you know, the social media's going up and up and up, TV's just going down. It's basically a waiting game. And the people who will get it right are the people who really know how to, like Alex said, 
integrate the product into a conversation that's currently going on. Like TikTok is a place where people create content of current conversation or make current trends and join in on them. If you don't know how to speak that language and how to create content in the style that exists on TikTok, if you try and go in there with something polished and glossy like a TV ad, you're going to get ignored immediately. Like You have to know how to operate on there. And the same goes for the rest of the platforms because um, they've all got their own content styles, they've all got their own languages. When these marketing directors start to click on that, you know, oh yeah, the, the, we did this one TikTok campaign and it banged everything out of the water, like in terms of ROI, sales, sentiment, everything. And also the cost of it was basically nothing compared to what we used to spend on TV for a similar return. Like this is, that's that's the change that I believe will happen over time. Same as Alex, it's what we're um, positioning ourselves for. Even the team there, like when we when we hire people, we it's almost like that intangible thing where you're sort of asking yourself, do, do they get it? Do they get social? Um, and that's like, a, are they a social native? Do they spend their time there? Do they know how to understand and pick up on the nuances that exist on these platforms? And when they do, they're a campfire person because you know that when when they're trying to think of what content's going to work and how to communicate a certain message in a certain way, it's going to come so naturally for them. So we're building this team, we're building our services and the way that we work around that point, around for that, because it's going to happen. And that's where we're, like Alex said, paddling ahead of that tidal wave. And when it starts to turn and, and go, we're going to be there for it. Okay. If you both have like one final takeaway, or like what's your one principle for success? Mine would be that, hopefully this comes across in the right way, but like mine would be that, um, like businesses can be unpredictable and with the best will in the world, sometimes something will turn and that you might not have been prepared for. That is just the nature of business. And you have to expect that. Like starting a business, that is just going to happen. Like it's part of the, the game. So for me, it's not tying myself, my own self-worth and my own like my own emotions too tightly. It's very difficult to not do this overall too tightly to the successes and failures of the business because where you'll feel like amazing on the days that it does well, it would be tough on the days that like on those sort of notches on the overall upward trend uh, that you see. So finding other things that you can be good at and that you can get a sense of reward from that don't, aren't tied directly to things that you can't control like broader economic conditions oh wow i put it on i put it on for now bruh are you <laughs> and also right? use do not disturb uh but yeah so finding things that you can be good at and that you can get a sense of reward from whether that is just like learning to play chess and getting good at that or getting good at piano or an instrument or like going on hikes or whatever like don't put all your eggs in one basket in terms of your um, sense of reward because it can be like business can be unpredictable and you want to still operate in a, in a way that is like balanced and rational on those days that it's, that things are tough. And I think it's a lot easier to do that if you have like multiple sources of like what your, your positive emotion, that would be my advice to someone else starting a business. Um, for me, it's probably just being honest and that's in every which way you can be. So like to your team, to yourself, to your peers, um, to your partners, um, there will always be things that happen that are wrong or could be better, uh, issues that arise. But if you don't have all the information to be able to solve it, you will not fundamentally fix it. Um, and so you have to be honest with where the issue is and why it happened. Um, as a leader, it's your job to make sure that you can foster a situation where that honesty can come out without you berating someone. That's your job. But if you manage to do that, you will all you should always try and you should always get the the honest answer so you can fix it. Be honest with yourself so that you know your shortcomings and you can bring people in that can help you with those. But you know your strengths and you trust your strengths. You trust your gut with those strengths. And you know, you know that that's what you're there to do, and you do it to your best ability. And then, honest with your partners, you know, there's your, your partners in business are people that you're gonna tell everything to. You're gonna go through every which detail with them. You'll argue, you'll fix things, you'll hate each other, you'll think they're the best person in the world. You're just gonna go through that. 
and or you can be honest otherwise again you're not going to have much you, you're not going to solve the problems that you, you have if you're not being honest about the, the problems themselves you're also probably not going to have much of a relationship afterwards um so try and be honest like me now <laughs> um yeah also find yourself a good business partner um i've, I've you, you can you see it sometimes where relationships fall down because you found the wrong person and things like that um they're hard to find business partners i'll be honest me and al were we fell out early doors quite a lot but you know we learned we learned how to operate as business partners and friends and it took a while but find yourself a good business partner as well that's two pieces of advice but it was important yeah i think complementary skill sets go a long way mm. as well if if you if you've got a mate that you want to start a business with, but they're basically you, it's probably not the best idea to to go into business together. I think it's way more important because I think we work really well because we essentially like balance yeah. one another's like the two sides that are important to have a business. And actually, not even just two sides. Sorry, there are like when you hire more people, doing that same process where you're like looking for people that balance you because even we've had like we have conversations where we've talked ourselves into like yeah <laughs> a, a, a decision that isn't the best one like finding people that balance you out and that are different enough from you that but that understand your vision that they give you like a well-rounded and well-considered approach uh that's a lot more difficult to do i think if you're a, a single founder and maybe if you are a single founder, then finding someone that is on a similar journey to you, someone that's like, there's probably like Reddit threads or like chats or, or networking events or something that you can go to, but finding someone that is on a similar path at a similar stage that you can have discussions with and things is probably a good way to do that. I think, yeah. But we've spoken to people who've been, who were single founders before and it sounds pretty tough. Yeah. Um, Not impossible, but definitely more difficult than, than, founding a business with a with a partner so yeah i would agree with that thanks everyone thanks for listening to the founders i'm sorry this is <laughs> i'm sorry this is the last episode but uh, we've enjoyed doing it so thank you for listening thank you for listening